0: If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 1, last book in the Bible, and uh, what I'm going to do is keep your place there, but just in a moment I'm going to turn us over to James in just a little bit, just for one verse there, but you can stay in Rev for now. Uh, Let's begin with prayer. This is the Word of God. He breathed it out. It came from his heart and his mind, and it's a love letter to us, but we want to ask for the Spirit of God to illumine our minds And um, life change is what it's all about. Uh, If you are a note taker, God bless you, you do that. But it's more than just gathering information and letting it stick up here, right? At some point, it should trickle into our bloodstream and become a part of who we are and then transform us and make us more like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. So let's speak to the Lord, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us this portion of Scripture and Lord, we confess, those of us who know you, we are your slaves. You are our master. Now, that may sound negative at first, but really, you're a benevolent master. In fact, what master tells their slaves what their future plans are? This is just how good you are. And we believe, Lord, you know the future in advance. Obviously, history is your story, and this is future history that you are cooling us in on now so that we might be ready. And I pray, dear God, for myself and each one of my friends here, that when you do return, Lord Jesus, we would be found ready, should it be in our lifetime. So we turn our hearts and minds over to you and ask for your uh, leading and your transformation. And then, Lord, may there be overflow blessing in the lives of others. We pray this in the most excellent name of Jesus and all my friends said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Revelation chapter 1. Well, he was on a South Pole expedition. I've never been to the South Pole. I'd love to check it out. I've got, we're from Chicago, so we've got some pretty warm clothes. We can handle it, probably. But uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton, he was an explorer, kind of an adventurer kind of a guy. And uh, he left a few men on Elephant Island on the South Pole. And he promised them, I will return. Of course, they're hoping he's going to return, because you can freeze to death out there. It gets way sub, 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 0 Well, later when he tried to go back, there were huge icebergs blocking the way, so he couldn't get through that waterway there. But suddenly, it happened out of nowhere. An avenue in the ice opened up, and Shackleton took advantage of it, and he was able to get through. And his men, ready and waiting, scrambled aboard right away, because you never know, that thing could close up. And sure enough, as they looked back, as they made it through, they heard a crash, and all that stuff, all that glacier stuff collapsed. And they just made it out on time. And Shackleton thought about that and he said, you know what, it was fortunate for you that you were all packed and ready to go. Otherwise, if they would have waited, they would have been trapped there again, who knows for how long. And they responded, they said, you know what, sir, we never gave up hope. Whenever that sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other The boss may come today. The boss may come today. You know, Jesus Christ promised us that he would return. And it's as good as his character, right? What's backing his promise is his character. And he has an excellent track record. He could return today. I don't know. He could return tomorrow. I'll I'll never set a date. I don't know. But the doctrine, the, the fancy word is it's imminent. Which means it could happen at any time. In in my understanding, and if you disagree with me, you know I love you, so that's not going to change. But in my understanding, I believe that the Lord could come back at any time. There's no two or three or four conditions that need to be satisfied before he comes back. So he can just show up just like that. The question is, are you, am I, packed and ready to go? you're going to ask, how do we do that? we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the whole point of this text, as I understand it, is simply this, be ready for Christ's return. That's what it's all about. And by the way, uh, every little section of prophecy in the Bible, and that's all over the Bible, always has a practical application. This is never a case where we just write this stuff down in our charts, put it away, and go to lunch. But rather, there's always some practical application. If we're reading this the right way, Our lives should be transformed. We should be becoming more like Jesus Christ. Be ready. Be ready. Are you ready? Be ready for Christ's return. Now, I said that that's imminent, right? That fancy word. Let me show you what I mean. Keep your place in Revelation. And let's go back to James. James chapter 5. I just want to show you two verses there really quick. James chapter 5. James 5, if you look at verse 8, James says, You too, be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Sounds like it could happen at any time. Do not complain, brethren, against one another. See all the practical application here? So that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge, the Lord Jesus, is standing right at the door. It's though he's knocking just about to enter. And that's really the feel of it. He could come back at any time. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 1. And you say, okay, I I believe it. It's in the scriptures. Christ's return is imminent. But preacher, what incentives do the scriptures offer to motivate me to want to be ready? Because I got to be honest with you, I'm not thinking about the return of Christ every day. Is that the case for you? And we've got some good medicine from the Word of God, if that is the case. Uh, I will confess to you that out of all the doctrines, this and maybe a few others are the most influential, hear me now, in my daily living. I'd have to count, but I'm pretty sure there's not a day that goes by I don't think about the Lord's return. And let me tell you, personal testimony, it keeps me out of all kinds of trouble. I ask myself, do I want to be doing this if the Lord were to return right now? Do I want to be thinking this if the Lord were to return right now? Keeps me out of all kinds of trouble. Plus, it puts a spring in my step because I have hope and joy. Look, I'm totally content. We, we, we're singing about the cross, right? I don't even deserve that. I don't. And yet, he came to this earth once for us. He's going to come back a second time. Now, that's love, right? Knowing what we know about ourselves, he's still going to come back for us, and he wants to be with us. Are you getting that message? He wants to be with us And God willing, we want to be with Him. And so, what are some of the incentives? We're going to consider three from this text. The first one is simply this. God's blessing motivates us to be ready. God's blessing motivates us to be ready. I invite you to look. We're in uh, chapter 1 of Revelation. Picking up at verse 1, John writes, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now, this book was written by John the Apostle during the Roman persecution under a pretty wicked Roman emperor named Domitian. And this would have been about 95 A.D., Domitian was known to take people he had trouble with and exile them to islands, kind of get them out of here, right? Put them somewhere way out in the sea where they can't bother anybody. The Apostle Paul was very popular, or Apostle John, I should say, was very popular at this time. And I think Domitian probably didn't want to snuff him out, if you know what I mean. There'd be a lot of pushback, but rather, let's put him on an island. Tradition tells us, we don't know if it's true or not, that he was put into slave labor. They were mining. I don't know what it was, coal or whatever the case is. But here he is on this island. He's a prisoner, right? All he has is ocean all around him. It's not that big of an island. And he's there as a prisoner. His crime, get ready for it, preaching the good news. Now, did you do that this week during sports camp? Did you preach the good news? Okay, criminals, aren't you glad you're not on an island right now? For preaching the good news. He went about doing good as Jesus went about doing good. And our world, there's a commentary on our world, isn't it? That they're so out of step. They're on the dark side, you might say. And do not like when people do good things, especially in the name of Jesus. So what's the theme of this book? Very simply, the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Do you really want to get to know Jesus Christ? Have you read this book lately? Because it's all about him. He's the subject, by the way. Everything else is incidental. And so, in this book, Christ reveals what will take place in the future. And there's a communication link I want you to see. It's there in those first few verses there. Where does this message originate? With God the Father, right? And it says there that God gives it to his son, Jesus. So that's the linkage from God to Christ, Christ to his angel, his angel to John the Apostle, John the Apostle to the messengers. I believe they're pastors. If you disagree, again, I love you. No problem. But then this is written down and it is given to the believers, to even us today. Thank God we have this letter, right? So from God all the way through that linkage to us, it's an incredible book. And God wants us to be informed so that we will be ready for Christ's return. Now, what are the contents of the book? Great question. I'm glad you asked. If you look at verse 1, it says, The things which must soon take place. Now, this is fascinating because with the close of the inspired canon, in other words, this is the the last of the 66 books, right? Very last one. So, at this point, and there's a warning at the end which says, hey, don't add or take away. You don't want these plagues to be on your head, right? So, this is it. This is God's last word right here. And so, with this book now comes a new vantage point with respect to the future. You see, over 500 years ago, The prophet Daniel, and by the way, Daniel is sort of a cousin book with this book. They go together. In fact, when I was at Moody, there was a class called Dan Rev. You study both books together because they feed each other, right? And so uh, Daniel spoke of literally what will take place in the latter days. So Daniel gets his telescope out, and he's looking way into the future. It's kind of fuzzy. He's squinting. And he says, hey, way, way down there in the latter days, there's some things that are going to happen. And then we move further in history to the time of Jesus Christ, still pre-church, because the church was born when? The day of Acts 2, day of Pentecost. So Jesus, technically speaking, was not living in the church age, was he? He said, I'm going to go send my spirit another like me, alas, one of the same kind. I'll send him down and he'll start the church. Spirit of God's building the church. Christ is building the church. And so, during Jesus' time, now notice the little shift in perspective here. Jesus said, the end does not follow immediately. Sounds like it's getting closer. So Daniel's over here, way down there in those latter days. Jesus a little further on. Yeah, it's coming. Not immediately, but it's coming. And now, we look here, and it says, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the things which must soon take place. Wow, sounds like we're really close, right? And these future things are described in 4. one to two six. That's all future material, right? In fact, if you want to look real quick, uh, chapters 2 and 3 are the church age, the seven churches, which would still represent us today. Starting in 4. one, after these things, that is, after the things of the church age, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. So it seems that the last apostle who was surviving, John, is invited up to heaven and perhaps raptured up there, which may be a picture of the church. And then if you go all the way to the end now, all the way over to chapter 22, This is the tail end of your Bible. If you get to your dictionary, turn left, put your signal on. Uh, 22 verse 6, and he said to me, this is the epilogue. So by the way, what we're looking at today is the prologue. It's a fancy word for introduction. And now begins the epilogue 6 and following of 22, which is the conclusion of the book. Everything sandwiched in between those two is future, except chapters 2 and 3, which is church age, present time now. We are in the church age, right? All right, and then by the way, the church age ends with what event? Begins with an R, the rapture. Once that happens, we're taken out of here. There's no more church. Church age is done. Then we move into the tribulation period. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things, does this sound familiar, which must soon take place. Where do you get that? From 1-1. So we've got bookends. 1-1 and 22-6 are the bookends of this book, this great book called Revelation. All right, now we move to verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed, happy is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Blessed is he, notice, who reads. This would be the reader during public worship. They would go around and actually stand up and read the entire letter to The congregation, this is the latest from the Apostle John, right? The last surviving apostle. Further, and those who hear, so notice reading, notice hearing, ask yourself, do I do these things? And those who hear the words of the prophecy, and those, don't miss it now, and those who heed, that's the congregation, by the way. So God promises to bless those who continually read, hear, and heed the prophetic word. It's fascinating because I've, through the years, especially as a pastor, people come up to me privately and say, you know, pastor, that's the one book I intentionally avoid. Why? I always ask why. Well, it scares me. I don't know what to do with it. I can't make heads or tails out of it. Hello. There's a lot of detail here, and God is very, very, very specific in some cases. He wants us to master this. Now, the only advantage I have over a lot of you is I'm I'm much older. I'm not smarter. I'm not. I'm just older, and I've chosen through the years to put in the seat time and stay with this book, and you can do the same thing if you just put in the seat time, uh, and my, my students, I love them all, I, believe me, I love my students, but in some cases, and I got some sharp students by the way, so it's not a lack of brain cells, what it is, is they just will not put in the seat time, if they don't get it in the microwave, you know, if it doesn't hit me in 10 seconds, I'm done here, and we're, we're gone. No, no, God wants you to wrestle with the text. In that process, he does something wonderful. He realigns your thinking, makes you more like Jesus. There's so much hope in this book. And we mentioned before about the church being down and out in a lot of ways today. This is one of the reasons. People are so horizontal. And there's a lot of bad stuff going on in our world. I get it. It's pretty depressing. This is why, believe me, I'm up on the news. I could tell you what's happening day to day. But there's a point where I cut it off because it can get really depressing. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to be horizontal. I want to be vertical in my understanding. And I know what's happening. Oh, there's a one-world government. Well, hello. It's in the Bible. It's supposed to come. So I don't freak out when it happens. I know it's here. I'm not a fan of it, but I'm ready for it. I know what to do. That's some of the benefits here. And so how will God bless us if we read, hear, and heed this book? Well, first of all, we'll experience, ask yourself if you want this, We'll experience the fullness of God's presence as we read this book, the fullness of his power and peace in our lives. This book can transform our lives, meaning through the agency of the Spirit of God. Beyond that, if we read and heed, our hearts will be reassured as we're reminded that God is sovereign over our present, and yes, over all future circumstances. If you're fretting and biting your fingernails, worried about the future, check in with the one who's in the future. Because when you get there, he's going to say, hi, welcome. It's about time you got here. Why were you worried? Sometimes I get mad. I think all that worrying and nothing happened. Why did I waste my time and energy worrying when I didn't have to? He had me covered all along. Hello, am I getting this finally at my age? Further, we'll acquire a renewed sense of purpose as we realize that God has a plan for each of our lives. A very tailor-made plan for each of our lives. He's very interested in our lives. The things we consider minutiae he cares about. And the big issues. And everything in between. Further, if we read and heed, we will receive keen insight into the signs of the times. And we will not be led astray by deceiving spirits and false doctrines. And believe me, they're multiplying out there. There's all kinds of wacko teaching. Sprinkle a little bit of Christianity in there so it looks like it's the real deal. But if you think it through, no, no, no. If I bite into this, I'm going to get Poisoned you get discernment here. You you can see the trends. You know what Satan's up to and his workers. And if we read and heed, our hearts will be filled with joy as the result of reading, hearing, and heeding this awesome book. The joy comes in the sense of life transformation and a sense of closeness with the Lord Jesus. And as I say, you get this little anchor in your life where you don't get swayed and freak out like most of the world does when bad things happen. So God's blessing motivates us to be ready. In fact, he says, you see it there? For the time is near. In other words, the rapture is imminent. Christ could return for the church, I believe, at any moment. Keep your place. Let's go to the end of the book again. The last chapter there, 22. If you look at Revelation 22 and verse 7, the words of Jesus. Tell me if it sounds familiar. He says, And behold... I'm coming quickly, blessed is he who heeds, now he's not even talking about reading and hearing, he's just saying heed it, obey it, embrace it, assimilate it into your life, bless it, you want to be happy? Happy is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. It's pretty hard to heed these if you're not reading them. So it begins there, obviously, but it moves beyond that. All right, back to Revelation chapter 1. This is the only book of the Bible that explicitly promises God's blessing to those who read, hear, and heed it. And as I say, ironically, it's often ignored. It's like people stay away from it, and I'm trying to figure out why. Now, for some, it may be the least read book in the Bible, and you'd think with all that's happening today, there would be an interest. And by the way, there is a podcast called uh, Prophecy Prose, which according to them, I think they had like a million hits. Uh, It's in the top 1% of all podcasts. Now, you're thinking all Christian podcasts? No, all podcasts around the world, according to them, it's in the top 1%. I'm thinking people around the world know that the world is unraveling, and they're wanting to know what the future holds, and at least some of them, thankfully, are looking to God's Word to find that out. Prophecy Pros, check it out. So, very carefully now, as we think this through, I have to ask myself, when was the last time I applied my mind to this wonderful prophecy? And where do I start? Maybe you're new to this. Please, 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 times three, please don't be intimidated by this book. By the way, afterward, I'll be here. If you have questions, I'd be happy to answer any questions. I can recommend you some good resources. If you're beginning let you say, I've never read the book, I can give you a really basic, solid commentary. It won't have all the details, but it'll give you the big picture. Intermediate or even advanced. I, in my view, I can tell you what I think. I've got tons of them on my shelf. Ask Kathy. You know, when you've got too many books in your house, it could become an issue of marital harmony. So you've got to be careful if you're a book lover, all right? You have to have some furniture in your house here, right? Am I right? Yeah. Pastors know all about that stuff. But anyway, so there's a two-volume set. It is the bomb, but it's pretty advanced. It's for those who already have some experience in the book. My point is, I could get you started if you really want to get started. Don't be afraid. You'll love it, and I promise you, you'll grow in the process. Guaranteed. Be ready for Christ's return. All right, preacher, I need some incentives. What are they? Well, here it is. Number one, God's blessing motivates us to be ready. Here's another incentive. Christ's love motivates us to be ready. Christ's love motivates us to be ready. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, John was a respected leader, as I said, especially the Asian churches. They knew him. He was a pastor in Ephesus, and these seven churches were in the western half of Asia Minor. Today, we would call it Turkey. The modern region there would be Turkey. Now, you're going to see in your Bible, hopefully, three froms. You see the word from there? From him who is and who was and who is to come. This is a proper name for God the Father. God the Father and the Holy Spirit are referred to in verse 4. You say, but there's three persons to the Trinity. Right. Verse 5 mentions Jesus. So you've got Father, Spirit, and Son here. And the Son will come to earth as his Father's representative. In other words, the coming of the Son, in a sense, is also the coming of the Father. The Son being his representative. And now there's the other from, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, the number seven speaks of completeness, and this refers to the third person of the Trinity. His name is the Holy, hint, 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 Spirit. Yep. Yeah. And for your notes, if you want it, write down Zechariah 4, 1 through 10, and you'll see what I'm talking about there. Check it out later on. Zechariah 4, 1 through 10. Um, again, that's the completeness, the attributes of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. But we said it's about Jesus, right? So notice now it's going to focus on Jesus, verse 5. And from, there's the third from, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. At this point, John is worshiping, by the way. So we see that word, and from, and from, and from. Grace to you and peace from the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, the triune God. The blessing doesn't get any better than that. By the way, we have the Beatitudes and the Gospels, and I think there's seven blessings here in this book. There's a lot of blessings that you might be depriving yourself of if you don't read this book. They're here for our enjoyment because God loves us. Verse 5, the faithful witness. He's elaborating now on Jesus. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. All three titles refer to Christ's future rule. He is coming back to rule and reign, by the way, and we were singing about that. Christ is invested with the authority to rule the earth. And so the book of Revelation is the account of how Christ's invested authority becomes realized authority. For your notes, Revelation 11.15. I'll read it. Rev 11.15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. You're saying, well, I thought he was reigning right now. Well, yes and no. He's sovereign over everything. But who usurped his authority in the garden? The snake, the devil, Right? And so, the prince of the power of the air, is there any wickedness in this world at all? No, no. Okay, it's a perfect world. I got that figured out. There's a lot of sin going on. How many have seen the movie recently? Uh, I'm forgetting the title of the movie we just saw. Sound Sound of Freedom. Any wickedness in there anywhere? Hello? This is a dark world. Satan is holding sway. Now, the devil is God's devil, and God has him on a leash. And sovereignty sometimes he'll give him a little slack. Other times he'll rein them back in. But the point is, Christ is going to come back, and Satan's going to get what's coming to him. And he's going to clean house at some point, thank God. So it's not always going to be this way, right? We long for those days, but for now, we want to serve him faithfully and try to make a difference as we can. So you see that word there, to him. Don't miss it. It's there twice. Verse 5, verse 6. He kind of interrupts himself. He's exploding in praise here. This is an exuberant benediction of worship and praise. He's actually worshiping right now. He's not just writing a letter. Verse 5, who loves us? That's a durative, present, participle. I only say that to say that it means this. Jesus loved us, continues to love us, and will always love us. You can't change that no matter what you do. That's just a stubborn love in the best sense of the word. Aren't you glad about that? And if that's not the best, there's more. And released us from our sins by his blood. He displayed his love for us at the cross unmistakably. Write it down, Romans 5, 9, and 10. Much more then, Paul says, having now been justified by his blood, declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Christ. For if while we were enemies, a little bit of logic now, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So because of Christ's love, we've been rescued from God's wrath. Think about that. Released from bondage. Think about that. Declared righteous and reconciled to God. Put in right relationship with them. I don't think of, there's anything better than what I just said. Christ loved us to the point of shedding his own blood. That's proof enough, isn't it? So there's no need to doubt his love for us. Verse 6. Beyond that, it says he made us to be a kingdom. This is another evidence of Christ's enduring love. He made us co-regents. That's our position right now. But during the millennial kingdom, we will actually reign on earth with Christ. You say, yeah, what? My job, I'm the lowest person on the totem pole. I get kicked around. I've got no authority. That's going to change. You'll have some worthwhile things to do and some authority in the future I'm going to go real quick here so fasten your seatbelts don't get whiplash Revelation 321 he who overcomes and John says that's the one who believes in Jesus that's you if you believe in Christ he who overcomes I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne right now Jesus is at the Father's throne in heaven and he is functioning as high priest but he's going to come back to earth and sit on his own throne It's also called David's throne, and he's going to reign for a thousand years on this earth. Rev 5.10, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom, this is us, in case you're wondering what you're going to do in the future, and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So you will have some authority. Rev 20 and verse 4, and I saw thrones, guess who'll be sitting on them, raise your hand, that's us, if you know the Lord, and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them. There's so much frosting on this cake, there's no more room for the cherry. But here it is. Here's the cherry. Verse 6. priest to his God and Father. Further evidence of Christ's enduring love is that he has appointed each of us priests and or priestesses, if I can put it that way, right? So that's worth something, isn't it? Uh, chapter 20, verse 6. They will be priests. It's future. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And so corporately... We are a kingdom. Individually, we are priests. As one scholar puts it, we are a kingdom of subjects with direct priestly access to God. Point, Christ's love motivates us or should motivate us to be ready. Is it motivating you? You might want to camp out there on these verses that talk about Christ's love till you get fired up and say, Lord, I want to be with you. It's, it's stale down here. It's flat. I want to be with you, Lord. And so, what are some indicators that we have been gripped by Christ's enduring love? What would that look like? Well, for example, we offer up heartfelt praise and adoration to Christ. Isn't that what John is doing here? Verse 6, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen! Amen! When we truly understand Christ's enduring love for us, we are compelled to proclaim, to articulate, to tell others that he is worthy of glory and dominion. By the way, I just said that we are a kingdom of subjects, right? He's the master. Do we eagerly, hear the word, do we eagerly, enthusiastically submit when we hear our king's commands. That's another word that gets a bad rap. When you hear the word submit, sounds like bad news, but it depends who you're submitting to. If it's somebody who loves you more than you love yourself, if it's somebody who has all the resources you need and desire, maybe submitting is a wise thing to do and a joyful thing, really. There's an old song that says you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Everybody's serving someone, right? I'd rather serve this benevolent, dictator, if you will, the Lord. So as priests to God, we regularly intercede for the needs of others. So if we've been gripped by Christ's enduring love, dear friends, then we will be ready for Christ's return. Be ready for Christ's return. Are you ready? What are the incentives, preacher? Come on now, help me out. Well, I've given you two here. God's blessing motivates us to be ready Christ's love motivates us to be ready, and finally, judgment certainty motivates us to be ready. Judgment certainty. Count on it. It will happen. That may sound like a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing. You actually want justice to prevail because of all the injustice that's in our world, right? Look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be, amen. Now John is conflating two verses here, Daniel 7.13 and Zechariah 12.10. By the way, a little side commercial for this literature called Prophecy. You can't help but learn your Old Testament. What John is doing is pulling forward all the passages from the Old Testament, Isaiah, Zechariah, Daniel, he's pulling them all forward, and he never quotes one verbatim precisely, he's always alluding to them. How many books in the New Testament scholars out there? what? 27, excellent. 27 books. Out of the 27 books, Revelation has the most, by far, Old Testament allusions. So that's one reason why people, oh, I don't know if I want to read that book because they don't know their Old Testament. But look at it positively. If you dig in, it'll force you to go to the Old Testament because that's what helps interpret it. And you'll be an Old Testament scholar in short order, probably in three days or four maybe. Can't promise you on that one, but it will happen over time. Again, it's all about seat time. That's what it is. Just putting in the time, being patient. Notice the word, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. You see, John is prophesying the second coming of Jesus Christ. For your notes, words of Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 30. Jesus said, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. You see, all the unsaved will be overcome with remorse because of the severity of their punishment. You say, how come these people are getting away with this stuff? Well, it's just a matter of time. It's not if. They're going to catch it one way or another. So don't worry about them. Just worry about your walk with the Lord. Don't miss it in verse 7, depending on your translation. Even so, amen. Maybe you've got a double amen there. It's a fascinating passage here because you've got one Greek word, the word nai, which is a word of affirmation, and one Hebrew word. The New Testament is in Greek, right? But here you've got amen, the Hebrew word of affirmation. It's a double affirmation which is strengthening, fortifying the certainty of Christ's judgment. In other words, amen, count on it, amen, he's going to judge, he's coming back, you count on it. That's the feel here. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the sovereign, omnipotent God. He's going to certainly execute judgment. So based upon God's authority, none of ours but His, based upon God's authority, dear friends, guess what's going to happen? He's going to execute judgment, and everyone who is not genuinely saved will certainly Face severe judgment. That means your loved ones who keep saying, yeah, I really don't want your Jesus. Yeah, That's good for you. That's fine. Believe me alone. I don't want Jesus, right? As much as you love them, as hard as it is to take, that's their future. Now, do you see where the urgency comes in? Because if we love people, not just relatives, but friends and just hopefully even just people in the neighborhood, if we love them, we are going to articulate the best news in the universe. So I have to ask you, as, and this is an act of love, are you convinced that you are genuinely saved? You see, the same author, John, who wrote this book also wrote the Gospel of John, right? And in 112, he said, but as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become someone, to become who? To become children of God, forever children of God. Who are these people? Even those who believe in his name. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your Savior? Here's why I'm asking. It's the one thing you must, capital M, capital U, capital S, capital T, three exclamation points. It's the one thing you must do. Why, preacher? Because you must Your creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who put you here, the one who's keeping your lungs and heart working right now, that one, wants to be your savior, and he has the authority to tell you what must happen. You owe your life to him. He says you must be born again. Are you born again? If you're still struggling with that concept, please come see me or Pastor Jordan after the service. We'd be happy to explain the good news to you. The most important thing you can ever do is receive Jesus. I promise you, your life will change. I'm not saying it's going to get easier. Don't hear that. It may. It may not. But it'll get better. Guaranteed. You'll have joy and peace in your life and purpose. Receive Jesus if you haven't. Now, most of us are Christians. My question is, are you ready for your notes? 2 Peter 3, verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We're privileged to cooperate with God, and somehow, all he's got the lion's share of work, somehow forward his program, if you will. How does that happen? Well, do we love the Lord's appearing? Do you anticipate it? Maybe you're saying, this hasn't been on my radar for months. That's fine. This is a good reminder for you to put it back on your radar. It'll help you. Think every day, about the Lord. In fact, when you pray, I'm sure all of you, when you pray, probably say something like, and Lord, bless this, give me that, etc., etc. Then you say what? Amen. Add this for the next 30 days. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord. Just say it. It may feel awkward, but just do it for 30 days. See what happens. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It'll help to get your mind on Him so that it becomes second nature and now you're just thinking every time you wake up, Lord, you can come back today. You look out the window, Lord, you could be back before I have my lunch appointment. It's just a great place to be. Do we evangelize the lost? Again, for your notes, Acts 3, 19 and 20, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that, hear it now, in order that, he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. So in light of judgment certainty, evangelism, dear friends, is not optional. It's urgent. It's the most urgent thing I know of. It's more urgent than even paying your mortgage bill. Pay it or get some money from somebody so you can pay it. That's important. But this is way more important than that. Your house will burn. or Somebody will take it at some point. That's not what it's all about. This is the eternal stuff here. This is the most important thing we could be thinking about judgment certainty motivates us to be ready. All right, so what have we learned? Well, the message really is simple, be ready for Christ's return. But we're all human, we need some incentive. What are they? Well, here they are. God's blessing, Christ's love, and judgment certainty motivates us to be ready. Now, having just heard a sermon on the return of Jesus Christ, there was a little girl who quizzed her mom after the service. And she asked, Mommy, do you believe that Jesus will come back? She said, well, of course I do, honey. He he could come back. Could he come back this week, mommy? Absolutely, dear. He can come back. Mommy, mommy, what is it, honey? Could he come back today? He could, honey. I don't know when he's coming back, but he could come back today. Mommy, 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 what is it, dear? Could Jesus come back in the next hour Sure he could, sweetheart. He could come back in the next hour. Mommy, mommy, what is it, honey? Could Jesus come back in a few minutes? Honey, absolutely, he could. Mommy, mommy, what, what is it, child? Could you comb my hair? That girl was ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Or is that that distant stuff, that pie-in-the-sky stuff way down there? It could happen while you're driving in a car. It could happen at any point, any time. I don't know when, but I want to be ready. I don't want to be embarrassed and worse when he returns. I want to be found doing his will. And so, dear friends, I can't help myself. I'm a professor. I give homework assignments. Pray for me. I can't help it. So here's your homework assignment, but I won't grade you. I'll let the Lord take care of that. How's that? All right. A little bit of guilt there, huh? Uh, if, just, now, we're going to use our imagination, right? Because we don't know when he's coming back. But just let's pretend that Christ is literally going to return 30 days from today. Let's just pretend that, all right? He's going to come back 30 days from today. If that's the case, what specific life changes do you need to make to be ready in 30 days when he does come? He say he's going to come at 12, 12 o'clock, 12 noon, 30 days from now. Think about it. What specific changes do you need to make in your life so that you will be ready at 12 o'clock 30 days from now. And I want to challenge you, relying upon God's grace, never done in the flesh, lean on his spirit, but I'd like you to pray and make a list of what needs to be changed, what you need to embrace, what you need to jettison, and then even write out a plan one at a time. Don't get overwhelmed. Rome wasn't built in a day, was it? In other words, take your time with this, but, because we don't know, it could be 30 days, could be longer, could be less. But let's start working on being ready for his return. This is not about works. A lot of this has to do primarily with a mindset, an attitude, an anticipation that he might come back. All right, let's speak to him in prayer. He's alive and well. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us so much you're going to come back a second time. How awesome that is. We want to be found ready and faithful and pleasing in your sight. So whatever that means specifically for each of us, may your spirit work that in our lives for your glory, our own good, and even for the blessing of those who we know. You deserve this and more because you are the most excellent being in the universe, and we choose to magnify your name this morning. Assist us as we continue to worship now. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all my friends said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.